0: Welcome back to the podcast Think Biblically Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, an author, speaker, and apologetics professor at Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University.
1: And I'm your co host, Scott Ray, professor of Christian Ethics, also at Talbot School of Theology.
0: We're here with a friend today of Biola, a friend of Talbot. Brett Kunkel, you were a youth minister for 11 years, and then you worked with Stand to Reason for 14 years. So you have a passion for young people, but also worldview and apologetics. And yet you've just launched this new, unique ministry with a vision, and it's called MAVEN. Tell us, first off, what does that mean, and what's the idea behind it? That's the number one question we get. What is MAVEN? (laughs) Uh, It's actually a word that means—it
2: refers to someone who is knowledgeable and passes that knowledge on. So, for instance, you might have a a finance maven or a fashion maven, right? And so, for us, that's really what we want to be for young people. We want to take the knowledge of the truth, uh, the truth of Christianity, and pass it on to young people. That's what we want them to become. We want them to become mavens who uh, who know the truth of Christ and pass it on. And then we want to help equip parents, youth leaders, pastors, Christian educators to do the same with the young people that they work with. Uh, so that's, that's what the name means. We are a youth-focused ministry. Our primary target audience is junior high, high school, college. Secondarily, it's pastors and leaders. We want to come alongside them. And for us, this is an opportunity to... Uh, repackage the truth, if you will. We're dealing with a different kind of kid nowadays. Uh, we're dealing with a kid who is media-saturated, image-based. Uh, they, they feel, not necessarily think a lot. So how do we reach that kind of kid? And we want to be an entry point. We know they need good theology and worldview and apologetics. How do you reach that kid, though? Because you can hand them a, you know, here's a theology book, here's an apologetics book and 90 percent of their eyes glaze over. And, you know, so that's what we want to do.
0: Talk to me about a couple of the practical things you're doing, because you've inspired me to do this in my own teaching and work with students. And I think it's really fresh and I would love to see the church jump on and really have this explode for the sake of students. So talk about maybe one or two of the unique things that you have been doing and will be doing in Maven. Well, we're going to be doing this is not unique in and of itself
2: that we're, we're going to provide virtual tools we're going to do online you know videos and resources and seminars but we are going to pay very close attention to how we package it and how we design it um so for instance here i was just at a recent youth conference and a, a video is played for these students you know junior hires high schoolers are there a video is played and I'm watching the video, and I'm thinking, I, I, I think I know youth well enough to, to, to say that this video is not hitting them. Mm. So afterwards, I, I'm talking to a couple of, of the students. And uh, sure enough, the students said, did you see that video? In fact, <laughs> this is hilarious. One of the kids, <laughs> he says, what are we in 2012? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, oh like, that's when we'd be like, "What are we in the '90s?" He's like, "What
2: are we in 2012?" That's all things. So, things so changed. five years ago. Wow, wow. <laughs> but what? And then I asked him, "What did the video say?" Because what it said was great. It was good content. They're like, "I don't know. I don't know." They could not get past the rapper. They could not get past the music. The you know, they, and so they were out. They, so how do you reach that kid? So that's one mm-hmm. thing we want to do in our, in our virtual training and the, 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 the things that we produce. Uh, a second thing we're going to do is live events. We're, we're producing some new, new conferences. Uh, thirdly, we're doing what we call immersive experiences. This is where we train young people in worldview and apologetics, and then we take them to Berkeley, California. We take them to Salt Lake City, Utah. We've got some other locations we're looking at developing trips at. And we give them a five- or six- or seven-day experience where now this stuff is out of the classroom and now it's in real life. It's in engaging a secular kid or a skeptical kid on the college campus, uh, you know, doing surveys or bringing out atheists or
0: talking to Mormons. And now they have to actually have to live this stuff out. So those are some of the things that we're excited about. That's awesome to see. And I can say anybody listening, I would encourage them, pastor, youth pastor, uh, parent, teacher, to get a hold of you and think about leading these trips because I've done with my students and it, it's it is literally a game changer. So it's pretty awesome. Tell us your personal story. Why are you so passionate about apologetics, worldview, and young people? In particular, start back in college when you had an experience that kind of rocked you as someone growing up in the church. Yeah, well, I I
2: grew up in the church. I had a wonderful experience growing up in the church, Uh, very involved in the body of Christ. All throughout elementary, my family, we were highly involved. I was at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. When I got into junior high and high school, became a leader in my youth ministry, was really involved. I was like that model Christian kid. And I go off to college in my freshman year. I'm a local, uh, I'm at a local junior college in Southern California, and I am completely ill-equipped to meet my philosophy professor. And so he just dismantles me over that semester, just You know attacking the rationality of christianity and he wasn't your stereotypical like angry atheist professor he was actually very winsome and one of the most popular professors at this university he's this cool surfer you know everyone loved this guy and he was very compelling and persuasive so he just he dismantled me i i remember being in his office because I realized I couldn't engage with this guy in front of everyone without looking like a you know an idiot in class. So I would go to his office, try to debate him in the privacy of his office, and the last time I was in his office, he said, Get out a get out a Bible. Of course I was a good Christian kid. So I, there it was in my backpack. I pulled it out. He said, Pull out a piece of paper and a pen, and he had me divide a sheet into three columns and write Matthew, Mark, and Luke at the top of those columns. And then he just took me through the resurrection accounts and the gospels and had me write down the details. Wow. And then showed me right there on the sheet, oh, look at the contradictions. I was stunned. I was floored. I was speechless. And I just folded that piece of paper back up into my Bible, put it away, said, thank you, Dr. Lane, walked out. And the walk to my car that that afternoon... I was I was shaking. I was trembling. I just thought, this is. I mean, is it over? Is because if he, what he says is true, this this seems to undermine, you know, my faith. And so that experience of growing up in the church and not being equipped, and then being devastated by a college professor, really uh, through that process, God helped me to discover apologetics and defense of the faith. And this whole it opened the door to this thoughtful, rich Christian. Tradition and history and truth that we have that I didn't even know about for the first eighteen years of my life. So that's why I'm so passionate about it.
1: Brett, you've, uh, you've got a, a few gray hairs not not very not very many <laughs> almost as many as Sean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but not not very many. But uh, you know, you've been working with students for a really long time. Yeah. Um, what how what changes have you seen in how students respond to the gospel, how churches are involved with students in meaningful ways. What trends have you seen that would impact students' ability to connect with the gospel over the you know, 20, 25 years you've yeah. been involved with students?
2: Well, I think – I mean, there's a number of things we could list. I think one of the biggest things is, is the technology piece. You know, You have kids who are now digital natives – Right, they've grown up now with a, a smartphone or an iPad or some screen in front of their face since they were two years old, and that is such a powerful force in shaping our young people. And now, some of the the negatives on that is that it has led to a uh, young minds that are very distracted. Right, they're very distracted. They have not learned how to sustain. Uh, careful thought, follow an argument. So they're actually, they're easily persuadable, not by argumentation, uh, usually at first, but just even just by images or uh, or slogans or things like that. So I think the technology piece is a huge challenge for us because it, it leads to this very distracted mind. It leads to a shallow mind, unfortunately. And, um, and then it, uh, it, I think it, it conditions them to be very entertainment oriented, uh, and just you know, and of course we look at the some of the brain science on this and what it does to the brain and and, and how you know those those constant shots of dopamine will affect someone and, and produce you know addictions and that kind of thing. But I think that is one of the biggest challenges for us in the church is technology, and then you couple that with porno- pornography. Uh, I think those two are the biggest challenges with a a lot of young people. Because now you take a very sexualized culture um, and and you take porn and you've got, you know, you look at some of the data on this and young people, uh, there are young people who now think it is is more immoral to not recycle than to view pornography. You know, I mean, that's where we're at. Uh, And so... Uh, now you you take pornography and you you give you've got the technology to give constant access and this is sh- this is shaping so many of our young people and it's breaking so many of our young people so this is a huge challenge i think for us with this generation that's
1: a really interesting convergence between you know technology and pornography how yeah. how easily accessible it is today yeah um let me follow up just on one thing on this how has the the digital revolution the you know the um, smartphones and iPads and the sort of the constant, uh, you know, availability of images and to keep people occupied. How do you see that impacting students' ability to connect relationally and interpersonally?
2: Yeah, it it stunts them. Um, I, I, I see it all the time. I was just, I took my son out to dinner, my six-year-old. It was just Jonah and I out for dinner. And I, now I'm seeing this all of the time these two high school students come in and sit down at the table next to us. And so just casually observing, I'm I'm talking with Jonah. I want one kind of rule we have in our family is that at meals, whether we're out or we're at home, technology stays away. And that includes mom and dad, right? So we're talking and joking around and whatever, and these two high schoolers sit next to us. They sit down, they look at the menu, they order, and then as soon as they order and the waiter walks away, boom, they grab their smartphones and they're on their smartphones. And they don't engage one another; they're just scrolling through stuff. Um, so it really—and st- you i think there's little things that happen all the time that—that that maybe a, a kind of s- as one instance, it's a small thing, but over time, the, you know, th- this kind of chips away. But you, you walk—you look at students who are <clears throat> walking on campus, or uh, or or if you're in an airport, you're—you know, people are constantly in their phones. And so you miss an opportunity to walk past someone, smile, say hello, and greet them. Uh, Or if I'm sitting in an airport, everyone's on their phone around you, and there's no engagement with other people. And uh, so I think that has huge potential to really stunt their growth relationally. When it comes to conflict, right, it's easier now to deal with conflict uh, over your technology, text someone, uh, or even say things and do things that you would never do face-to-face in face-to-face engagement or, you know, so.
1: I was with a group group of guys a while back out to dinner, and we had a rule. We all put our phones in the middle of the table and said, first one to reach their phone also gets the bill for dinner. <laughs> That's right. Nobody touched it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because as, as much as we wanted to look at that text or that email coming in, yeah. we were all too cheap to want to pick up the bill. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: that's why I get a smartphone so it alerts me when the text goes off, just in case I don't have to pay for dinner. <laughs> that's a great idea. Let me let me ask you this: Rod Dreher, who's the author of the Benedict Auction, Benedict Option, said something recently that got my attention because there's been a lot of talk about why kids leave the faith, worldview, apologetics, relationship, moral issues. Yeah, he said just this week on a post, he said, the issue of how kids use technology will largely shape whether they stay in the faith in the future. That this issue is so important. doesn't just affect their relationships now, but whether or not they'll stay in the faith in the future. Do you agree with that or not? And what principles do you also build into your kids and when you work with people, especially Mm -hmm. young people, on dealing with technology? Yeah, I'm not sure I would put it the way that Dreher puts it. I would definitely
2: say that technology is a huge challenge. And I think what Scott mentioned was the the convergence of things. So how is it a huge challenge? Because we know that technology in and of itself is not immoral. It's not wrong to use the smartphone. But what we have to teach our young people and what we have to realize ourselves is that it's also the medium itself is not neutral. Right? So just in using that thing, even if I'm using it for, for something that's not immoral in and of itself, uh, just the use of that thing has the potential to shape me. Right? So take something like social media. Uh, so social media, is it wrong to use social media? Is it wrong to post pictures on Instagram? No. But what that thing can do over time is condition you to mm. feel like you always have to display and what you have to display often will end up being a false picture of, of who you are and what you're doing. So kids will, uh, you know, they'll, they'll scroll through other p- kids' pictures, and they'll see them eating good food, taking nice vacations, doing pleasurable things, having fun, always happy. And as they scroll through that, it presents a false view of reality, but they see it to be the, the truth about reality. Their friends are always doing this stuff, and here they are sitting at home in their bedroom Life boring, and so they will then. I've talked to kids who will post things that they're not actually doing. Maybe an old picture, wow. or they'll post something that they're not doing at that time and make it look like they're doing something. That make it look like their life's kind of exciting, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So that's an example of how it's not. This thing's not neutral. Um, it, it can shape you. It can. It can. Yeah. And, and it's slow and subtle and over time.
1: Yeah, think about. I mean, think about. How many times have you seen somebody post something from a bad day? Yeah. Never, <laughs> Never. see that. Never see that. <laughs> That's right. I mean yeah, you would yeah, you would actually believe that mm-hmm. this is the way these people live all the time. Yeah. And there's correlation um, with the amount of
2: time that a young person spends on social media with, with uh, whether or not they're gonna be more or less depressed, right? And 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 feel anxious about life. Uh, because they've got this 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 false view that's just one of the possible i think kind of lies that technology can tell you like your life always has to be on display i'm the authority i don't need any authorities mm-hmm. i'm the authority right um there's and there's just a way that this thing can can really uh, cause you to, to 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 become self-centered and narcissistic it's always a focus on you, the individual. So, okay, so very practically, how do we help kids navigate this? Number one, I think that we have to teach them to take breaks or to have screen-free times and places. It's, it's a way to, it, to kind of bring back that, that classical discipline of fasting. So I think students, and maybe you start with your, your students, and it's once a month for – you know, and maybe it's 12 hours in a day, we're going to fast together from our, our smartphone. Uh, that'll be a big enough step for a lot of kids. And 12 hours is
1: already I, a lot. I, I can just imagine <laughs> the look on their faces. Oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. would be, that'd be unbelievable to see.
2: Yeah, and mm. it, what's funny, when I, when I talk to kids about technology, most of them are willing to admit they think they're addicted to their smartphones. Mm. And then I ask them a second question, are you willing to change? Are you willing to do something? and then you just, you just see the resistance. <laughs> no, they, are, they think that, that, well, that kind of addiction's okay. right? I'm not addicted to drugs, uh, it's just a smartphone. Um, so there's a resistance, but you start with once a month and then, then once a week. Uh, I think ultimately we wanna get our kids in a, in a rhythm where once a week they're, they're, they're taking a step, they're, ta- they're fasting from technology. But then also in addition have screen-free places in your home if you're a parent. So uh, like one place for us is the dinner table, no technology, uh, another place is the kids' beds when they're up in bed. No technology is with them um, uh, yeah, so there's those those kind of screen free places that we have as well uh, sometimes when we when we start a road trip or a vacation or something, uh, no screens out you know so those kind of things until are until really kids
1: correct. start fighting then it's
0: like just turn it on <laughs> and we need a break
2: <laughs> that's right we reserve it for
0: when we need to anesthetize them. let me ask you a bigger question how do you motivate students who are in one sense just looking at their phone all the time checking instagram to slow down and wrestle with the big questions of theology and philosophy what does it mean to be human is there a life after death does god exist these worldview shaping questions that really determine the rest of their lives what are some maybe tools or ideas to just motivate young people to care about this stuff I think one of the best things that
2: I've discovered, and you know this from the trips we've taken, is that you can motivate kids when you get them out of the classroom and you you put them into some real life experiences. Uh, and so, we know there's a real need for kids to know theology, to know scripture. So hand them a Bible or or hand them a theology book and say, "Read this. You need it." And they're whatever you know they blow you off, but. Take them and put them in front of a Mormon, mm. who knows their scriptures better than they do. Who will kind of tear them up, <laughs> and then talk to that kid, and then that kid. You're not. You're not saying here's the theology book. They're saying where's the theology book, mm-hmm. right? So it creates that uh, that that what what we know to be a real need. It now becomes a felt need as well. And I think the more we can do that kind of thing. Um, that is maybe the most powerful motivation for, for young people, is get them out of the classroom, get into real-life situations. This is why you and I do the role play. In fact, that's what I discovered when we did these these Berkeley mission trips where we would bring out an atheist. Uh, we do these Utah trips where we take them to Utah and put them in front of Mormons or, or dialogue with Mormon missionaries or go to BYU. There was n- I, one of the, 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 the benefits where these kids would become so motivated mm. – and so we would give them free time, and during their free time, they'd be pulling out their Bibles or their Book of Mormon, and they would stay up till one or two in the morning studying because they know, oh, we're going out the next day. And, uh, and and so I think about my own experience. When was I really motivated? When I was kind of demolished by that professor. And so I, I think this, is, this speaks to the need to get our, our students and our, our people out From behind the four walls of the church so much of our activity is just behind the four walls of the church and we need to be outgoing uh when you live your life on mission and you get engaged and you get challenged
0: uh it it has a way of sparking you so that's one of the best ways the way you phrased it i think is really valuable once one thing my father's taught me is he said real ministry is not meeting a felt need but making a real need felt that's what you're doing with students. They have a need yeah. for theology and need to understand their faith. How do I put them in situations where all of a sudden they feel that need that they have?
1: Mm-hmm. I see this. I mean, you raise a really good point here. And if you, I think, if you think about it, this is actually basically the way the Bible was written. Because we, we typically, I think, in our churches, we go to the, to the text, we, here's what it means, and here's how it applies. I think the Bible actually did that approach backward. Because the Bible starts with real life and says, now here's what you need to know theologically mm-hmm. in order to meet this real life situation. Yeah. Even I think the books of the Bible that are the most doctrine-oriented, like Romans and Ephesians, both are written to address really specific issues. Mm-hmm. You know, For example, Ephesians was written to address the mother of all racial tensions in the early church between Jews and Gentiles. They started... With that, with that Mm -hmm. real need that had become felt, Mm. and then used our worldview, our theology to answer those questions. So I think, you know, it's not only a great idea for connecting with kids. I think it's also really consistent with how the Bible does this.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, And I, I, in the twenty-five years of working with young people, I've never seen anything like it that motivates mm. them. Nothing. Uh, Get them out of that and and get them engaged. And it doesn't have to be a six, seven-day trip. When I was a youth pastor. Uh, I would do a series on world religions, and uh, I would always set up a field trip after. So we'd do Buddhism. Twenty five minutes down the street was a Buddhist temple. We take them to the Buddhist temple and have a Buddhist monk give them a tour, explain Buddhism, and then engage with the kids. And it was, and these were junior hires. You should see these kids come come to life, right? Couldn't get these kids to shut up when we're trying to debrief. (laughs) And well, that's I guess that's a normal problem with junior hires, but uh, but they were but they wouldn't shut up about theology and apologetics and, and you know, the Buddhist worldview, and I
0: mean, it was just amazing. So the more we can do that, the better. So if you were to, able to take youth ministry, and I think I know it now hearing you speak, and just turn it upside down, what would it look like to most effectively teach and train our students where culture is at today? Uh, I th- I think I would do a couple things. Number one,
2: the content, I would the, on the content, I would focus on theology, apologetics, and worldview. I would, I would go back through all of my messages and not do the five how-tos to have a better relationship with your parents, or I would let that flow out of the theology and the, and the apologetics and the worldview stuff, but I would really go after their minds, looking to uh, bring transformation by the renewing of their minds. I would focus on that, because you have a limited time in youth ministry as well, so I'd want to focus on what they believe, why they believe it, and then how does this truth apply kind of across the board. Uh, secondly, I personally would eliminate any um, uh, any of the the, the so called like uh, fun trips where we would just do we would just go to like take a the ski kids to the trip Mountain. or something like yeah. that. Now I might do a retreat where I had a ski kind of thing, but there would, the the retreat would be central. But I wouldn't hmm. take out things like going to the the the, the, the uh, whatever the water park or this or that. Instead, what I would do is I would create opportunities for them to I- engage. I would say I, I got a limited amount of time here. Um, and some people might say, well, we do those things for fellowship. Well, that's great, and it, it may build some fellowship, but I'll tell you what builds way better fellowship is when you figure out ways to to live on mission for Jesus together. There's nothing that builds fellowship in a body and uh, a group of Christians when um, when you're constantly living out the gospel with one another and sharing that gospel. I mean, I think this is what we see in Philippians. Philippians, I think the theme is, is this church partnering with Paul in the cause of the gospel. And what's the result? Joy, right? That book is the book of joy, but it's symptomatic of their partnership in the gospel. I want to figure in that, talk about deep fellowship. That's much richer, deeper fellowship than just
0: going to Magic Mountain. Brett, thanks for joining us today. I'm thrilled to hear just the vision God's given you for Maven, the ideas that you have. We want to support you in every way we can, and I encourage our our listeners to go to maventruth.com, right? Yes, maventruth.com. Follow, follow all the things you're doing on Twitter, the videos, and just get your your kids, get your youth pastor involved, because I think this is a significant ministry that God's going to use to shape a lot of lives. So yeah. thanks for doing it and for coming on. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. Listen in next time as we invite Brett back to continue this important discussion. To learn more about us and to find more episodes, go to www.biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. That's biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.